There's a quote I like that says, uh, procrastinators will rule the world tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. That's awesome. (laughs) And I'm the queen of that. It it really like actually drives my husband a little bit nuts because he's like, you always say you want to do these things. And he's really good at like, okay, you said you're going to do this thing. We're going to get up at this time and we're going to do it. And he is very like, we said we're going to do it. And I'm like, but can't we do it at eight? Mm, you know, we should just do it at nine. <laughs> After lunch. You know what? Yeah, I mean. Mm. I should eat breakfast first. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten. Oh, I just ate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm tired. Oh, I'm too awake. Oh, I haven't had coffee. Oh, I just had coffee. coffee. <laughs> He's like, when is there a good time? There isn't one, really. And then I'm, I'm also the queen of, you know, I'm like, I should go before I drink. Oh, too late. I'm already drinking. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. So everybody knows that plants are great. They're good for your body, they're good for your skin, they're good for your sleep. And yet we often struggle to be able to maintain consistently eating plants over anything else. And so today we're gonna tackle the issue of sabotage. Sorry, sabotage. Let me be a little bit more serious here. (laughs) So we're going to reference an article from Psychology Today uh, simply because it has some really good descriptions of not just what self-sabotage is, but also uh, six key ways in which we end up um, preventing ourselves from getting to our goal, right? Which is really what sabotage is. So the article says, self-sabotage is any action that gets in the way of your intent. Right, And so for us, typically we're talking about something related to nutrition or diet or health, but it can manifest itself in many other ways, right? Like in how you handle your finances or um, if you're trying to restore a relationship with someone in your family or in your community. And you can, you can sabotage yourself in many, many ways, but we're going to primarily talk about how it impacts us and our ability to reach our, our health goals. And sorry, just to slow down, what's the article just for the point of our audience's reference? It will be in the show notes. Perfect. But it is called Why Do We Self-Sabotage, published um, on psychologytoday.com. Gotcha. Okay. So it mentions there are countless ways we sabotage ourselves, but procrastination, self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, overeating from stress, and interpersonal conflict are among the most widely used and recognizable. These actions can be especially dangerous because they're so subtle, Mm. right? And so today we're going to help people take their blinders off throw away their rose-colored glasses and really take a look at what am I doing that's preventing me from getting to, gets in the way of my intent, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. I was thinking as you're talking through that, like, okay, so I think we talked about this before. We were talking about the lies we love. Oh, I love that episode. And I... I love that title. That title. Yeah. 
Um, April but came up with that. <laughs> Lila was saying, um, she's like, I, I think you said I'm gonna. You say you're gonna be a runner every day. You're gonna run every no, day. No, she's gonna you? wake up early. Wake I up. a lot of things that we're up. doing. He's <laughs> <laughs> lying to yourself all the time. Sabotage <laughs> happening in real time. Yeah. Uh, for myself. <laughs> for myself, I say I'm gonna run every day, and um, every day, every every evening, I say, all right. Tomorrow. Tomorrow the, it begins. And in the morning, um, even if I get up on time in the morning, I say, okay, first I'm going to sit down. I'm going to meditate, which is true. Meditate. Okay, so I'm going to run at 7. Mm -hmm. But at 6.30, I'm already thinking, maybe I'll have my tea first. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should just do it at lunch. You know what? I need some new running shoes. Maybe I shouldn't do it because, you know, my knee, maybe. Or <laughs> I end up doing, like, 100 different things. I need to do this thing for the Jealous Vegan. I need to do this thing for coaching practice. Oh, there's somebody else to reach out to today. I'm making my list. And it's like it becomes a negotiation of like, okay, not right now. I'll do it later, yeah. later, later. And then the end of the day comes and I have wine in my hand. Mm. And thus you're not running. And thus not running. And this that sabotage. But, but, but as I'm drinking wine, I'm saying, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Right? So it's that idea of like what we say we're going to do, the positive intention of it, and then the behavior or the, the stories that start to come up, the conversations we have in our own heads that keeps that thing from actually happening. There's a quote I like that says, uh, procrastinators will rule the world tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that That's one. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm the queen of that. It, it really like actually drives my husband a little bit nuts because he's like, you always say you want to do these things and he's really good at like, okay, you said you're going to do this thing. We're going to get up at this time and we're going to do it. And he is very like, we said we're going to do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. but can't we do it at eight? Mm, you know, we should just do it at nine. <laughs> After mm, lunch. You know what? Yeah. I mean. Mm. I should eat breakfast first. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten. Oh, I just ate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm tired. Oh. I'm too awake. Oh, I haven't had coffee. Oh, I just had, had coffee. coffee. Right? <laughs> really and then I'm, I'm also the queen of you know I'm like I should go before I drink oh too late I'm already drinking okay I'll do it tomorrow right right and, yeah right which is a very classic form of sabotage right? yes yeah. yes yes so we're gonna go through there are six big reasons so I'm gonna name uh, just the first few and then I'll give um one or two sentences related to that from the article right and then we can have an opportunity to comment on it so the first one is self-worth you feel undeserving of success or happiness. In an ironic twist, some of the most driven people strive to work hard and aim high because they feel they need to make up for a self-imposed sense of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. Number two, control. <laughs> Sorry, it's my Jamie Jackson impression. Y'all missed it. She had the hand moves to go with it. Yeah. Self-sabotage may not be pretty, but it's better than spinning out of control. At least when you're steering the ship, going down in flames feels more like a well-maintained burn. <laughs> and then the third one is perceived fraudulence. This is otherwise known as good old imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. As the bar continues to rise, you feel you only have further to fall when you inevitably come crashing down. So again, those three things are self-worth, control, 
and perceived fraudulence. And what are those things again? These are six of three of the six reasons why we self sabotage. Mm -hmm. The first one really speaks to me: the self worth. Because mm -hmm. I was having this conversation with someone, and I don't remember who it was now, but they were saying, you know, who am I to have this success, or who am I to, you know, charge this much or do this thing, and. I was saying, who are you not to? You know, why do we think that things are unattainable for ourselves? Things that we see other people acquire, mm -hmm. you know, but for some reason we feel like, but for us, yeah, no, I know they have it. And I know it's it's like no big deal in their circle, but, you know, I, I can't have those things. I shouldn't have those things. It doesn't really belong to me. And I think that that first mentality buys into the third one, which was the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's feeling like, well, if I have these things, ugh, I'm selling out somehow. I'm pretending mm -hmm. to be something that I'm not. I'm attaining for something. I'm striving for something that um, is not mine to have. I'm stealing from somebody else who should really have it. And those, all of those things yeah. just are not true. But if I ever have time, I always say that psychology is something that I would love to study because I'm fascinated with how the human brain works um, and how we justify or don't justify things and how it influences the decisions that we make and ultimately the way that we live our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And to bring that to food, like in terms of sabotaging for food, I mean, there's the, there, there are external factors. Sure. Right. Loss of love. Or the perceived loss of love. What will, what, will, what will my family think? What will my friends think? How will I die? And what will I? And, and not just food, actually. I mean, so I think some people, it's very um, drinking, for example, and, and we could say over drinking is kind of a social thing. It's understood that this is what you do for air quote fun, right? Mm -hmm. And yet your body absolutely has a reaction after a certain point to say stop. The human keeps going. So that says that the, the, the human is overriding the biological reaction. The human is sabotaging. Um, and so to your point, Lila, like, and I see this in my work as a coach and I, I honestly get rather bored by the idea of like mindset, mindset, mindset you hear, but it is so true. Like the stories we had, we tell the, 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 the thoughts we have about an action or lack of an action influence the feelings we have about this action or not action. And then that becomes the reality, but yeah. it all starts with. The mind. Mm -hmm. What are you telling yourself about drinking or eating or anything else? Right. I had a coworker who used to say, whether you believe you can or you can't. It's true. You're right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so our thoughts do have a, a huge impact on our ability to perform. I think the, the self-worth one definitely uh, is something that I, I struggle with. And, it's, and it says, you know, it's ironic because sometimes people who are really you know, after it, right? Super ambitious. They, they, are, they are about business. They, you know, feel like they don't deserve, they're trying to make up for some perceived deficiency. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I'm actually in therapy right now trying to figure that out. Yeah. Because I recognize that it's something that is holding me back. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, um, it's not healthy to be in pursuit of something out external, right? Like, um, I see this with people who they always have to have something going. There always has to be music on. They always have to be in motion. They always have to be moving. There can't be any block and there can't be any free time in the schedule because 
there's there's a kind of anxiety or panic of like, what am I going to do with this time? I have to find some way to fill this time. And yet those are the same people that oftentimes when they come to coaching, it's just like, I don't have enough time. Well, take some stuff out. Right. And there's handshaking happening because how can I take things out? I can't. You don't understand. And I, I think it's interesting when I when I talk, because as a coach, it's like people come and they say, I don't have I don't have time. I don't have I want more time to spend with my family. Okay, take some stuff out. I can't. What can I take out? I have all these things. Well, what's your priority? Oh, I don't know. But I mean, everything's my priority. Okay, everything can't be your priority, right? right. Or I don't have money for coaching. Um, you have money for anything you decide. You will find the money. You will find the time if you really want it. And so it's the idea of like, you create your reality. You create your over, your full schedule. And overscheduling is the same as overeating. You just have you have too many not just you have too many things on your plate, and it's not modest. Hmm. So you might be hungry, but the body has a natural rhythm. When you're not hungry anymore, you just naturally stop eating. In fact, you don't even think about food anymore. You're just like, I don't want to look at that. Now I'm ready to go scrolling Instagram if I wasn't already doing it. Like <laughs> I'm ready to do something else naturally. Okay. Right. So if there's something happening where you're not naturally feeling full and you're still eating or still piling things on the plate, that's a sign of something, something mental and emotional happening because the body knows what it when it's full. The signals happen. Right. And in case in extreme cases where people may not have that that signal. But overall, whatever is happening next beyond the modesty part, that is emotional and emotions are triggered by um, the mental state. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You always say how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so um, I, I've been watching Tidying Up, this Marie Kondo show, and she talks about how, you know, the point of the show is not really about getting organized. It's about eliminating things that steal your joy, basically, right? And so a lot of what she does is help people kind of unlock the things that are keeping them from having joy in their life. And usually it's about clutter and stuff, you know, and we've spilled all of this space around us. And so I find that interesting is that the same thing with food, right? Is that, you know, if you, if you can take care of looking at food in a certain way, such that it, it fills a need and it doesn't, isn't used to, to do anything other than fill the need for hunger and pleasure and pleasure, then it allows you to it, it mean that, that that principle then applies to other parts of your life, right? As far as having enough time and, you know, being able to spend time with your family and do all the other things that are important to you. Right. I, I like that series and I read the book because I did like the idea of um, we have, there's a tendency, especially in communities that have the money to go and buy gobs of stuff. And we live in a country where you can go to a store um, you can go to a store and uh, buy, you know, a, a, a spend thirty dollars and come out with thirty garments, right? I'm thinking of places like H and M, depending. Maybe not quite <laughs> like that, right? But I'm, I'm exaggerating yeah. just a little bit. But overall, you, you know, you can get a couple bags of stuff for really cheap. But but where does it come from? And how is it made? Oh, and how long is it going to last you? And what I saw when I watched some of the show, um, the tightening up is that 
people had all this stuff and nothing really that was important to them, nothing that was beautiful, nothing that they felt like I can't live without, except for the fact of like, I need stuff. It's just stuff, but not quality stuff. I yeah. saw mounds of clothes mm -hmm. piled on and it's like, but what in there is actually of quality? Do you know where it comes from? Do you feel good in it? Yeah. Do you actually love it? Or is it just like another sweater that was on sale? Um, and I, I feel like, we, I know for myself, I'm, I'm victim of this too. If you tell me it's on sale and I'm just like, well, I wasn't considering it before, but let me consider. Yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe Whether, I do need that. Or maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I'll take the opportunity right. Right, to get it, even though I don't actually need another sweater and I don't need another sweater that's five, you know, I have five of these in my closet already. I don't actually need another one, but it's on sale. So hmm, I, I will pause and consider. But what does that get? It puts more stuff in my closet that I really don't need. And what I liked about that, about Marie Kondo's method is that she's like, if you only have five things, but these five things you love, worth it, nailed it. Yeah. You know, one of the things we're talking about clothing and simplifying and that sort of thing, people do, or we see it in clothing and in, things, right? People fill their life with stuff, but what I like about the show and what I've seen even in real life is that when people declutter their lives of stuff, then they have more space and opportunity and freedom to really do things that are important because the stuff isn't important, right? And when you have somebody who for example, you have a closet full of clothes and you're going out to dinner with a friend and you've got to rummage through everything in your closet to try to find a suitable outfit. You're getting dressed for like an hour and a half and now you're running late and you're trying to get to dinner. Whereas if you had a small wardrobe that had items that you really, really loved, you could throw on something that you loved in a in a, you know, real quick, right. yeah, yeah, in a heartbeat, right. you throw on something that you love, you get out the door on time, and you are out with that friend that you wanted to see enjoying your life right. and not stuck in your stuff. And I think that that is like the bigger concept of Marie Kondo, right, is declutter your life from the stuff and get to what's really important, which is honestly the people in your life, your kids, your family, your friends, Um and when you have less stuff, you can see that more clearly because you're not at home washing dishes and you're not at home washing clothes and you're not <laughs> rummaging through all of this stuff that's unnecessary. You can just see everything a lot more clearly and it frees up a lot of time. And money. Think, and, and, and money. And space. And space. Yeah. yeah. Which when is you think about time in itself, though, just... How quick it's it is enough. to get dressed and how small your loads of laundry are and how everything is organized. You know where things are. So you can pick something out and go and you're off. And you don't buy more. You don't buy something that you already have yes. just because you can't find it. Yeah. So all of that. Right. And I have found for myself that when you do have a smaller wardrobe, you you give a lot more thought to the things that you buy because you're like, well, this doesn't fit anything that I have in my wardrobe. So I'm not going to spend the money on it or yeah, I'm not gonna, I don't have shoes to go with this or I don't have anything to go with this. Um, and it doesn't fit. Cause I, before used to be a big, it's cute. I love it. <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> then I get home and I'm like, oh, I have nothing to wear this with. I can't wear it in the spring or the summer or the winter. <laughs> and I don't have the right pairs of shoes. So I had all this stuff in, and I love prints. 
love prints. So I had all this stuff that was like super hodgepodgey and printed and I couldn't wear anything with anything. And I would spend like an hour trying to get dressed because nothing goes together and I'm always late because I can't ever find anything to wear because everything is so disorganized. And so it's stressful too. It's right? super yeah. stressful, but there's, there's beauty in organization and in, in living smaller. Right. You know, softer. I, I, I was thinking about, since we're talking about sabotage too, in this context of like, people don't realize that when you have things in your life that are not the quality you want or deserve, it takes up space so that the things that you do want and deserve cannot occupy your yep. life. And that's true of clothes. Mm-hmm. You got a bunch of junk. Then the stuff that you really want or the stuff that doesn't make you feel, you know, it's just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Then you don't have space, literally, for the things that would be able to occupy space in your life and that you would love. It's true of relationships. I see a lot. Um, it's very easy to fall in a pattern into a pattern of attracting the same kind of people mm-hmm. into your life and they're stressful and they're not the quality relationships that you might want. Right. And we can have a whole dialogue about how to shift that and why and what happens in the dynamics there. But ultimately if there are people in your life or relationships in your life that are not quality, they are taking up space for the relationships that you do want to land. And so from the point of like, Going to the Marie Kondo example, simplify your life and create the space for what you do want. You can't create the space if you're not willing to let go of what's in there that's not serving. And it's true in every area. It's that sabotage of like, on one hand, is like, but I need stuff and I'm in the store and I just want like, you know, what do you call that thing? Retail therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's, oh, it's on sale. Yes, (laughs) but this thing, you don't love it. It's going to take up space. So something else you do love cannot come in. Yeah. And again, self-sabotage is any action that gets in the way of your intent, right? So I think the other challenge is people don't know what they want. They don't know what their true intent is. So they are just filling space. And so they don't even get an opportunity to say, no, I can't have that come in because I need to leave space for this thing that is yeah. important to me, or right. this is what my real intent is. Right. Um, it goes back to non-functional slack, Phil. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Here we go. Non-functional slack film. Okay. Okay. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking it it ties very well into what we talk about here all the time and what we're doing right now with the cleanse is find your why. Yes. Right. Why, 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 what, what is your life? Why do you have it? Is this the life you want? If something else, why, right? Why are you buying this art guard, uh, this garment? Why do you have these people in your life? Why are you showing up in the world like this? Why are you working this job? Like, find your why. Once you anchor to your why, which to your point, Jen, a lot of people are not like, I can't tell you how many people I ask, what do you want? And it's like, I can see their brains go like spinning into outer space. Like, what do you mean? What do I want? And it's like, what do you want? Well, what do you mean? Can you give me some context? No, that it really is designed to be an open-ended question. What do you want? If you really just touch down to what's important to you right now, what do you want? And I can't tell you how difficult that is for some people to answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, great. Would you like to have a conversation about that? A real coaching conversation to help you understand your why. Because once you get clear on where you're going and why, all the other decisions become pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's very similar I think in the other way to take it back to food is 
why am I eating this? Why am I eating so much of that? Why am I drinking this? Why am I drinking so much of that? And then trying to figure out, well, what's driving that? Because if you don't, if you don't stop and ask yourselves those questions, you will be on my 600 pound life. And I don't mean that as a, I mean, kind of being funny, but, but it's true, right? Because I just saw something the other day where this guy was like, I mean, he was a big guy. And he said, at my heaviest, I was 619 pounds. He was 25 years old. And I, and I said, I wish that the show would have stopped to ask what happened. Because that's not something that just doesn't happen overnight, right? And, and another girl that was on the show was like, I, I gained 125 pounds because my boyfriend killed himself because I told him I didn't want to be with him anymore. Ooh. And she just carried that. She literally carried the guilt and the weight of that situation. Um, but this guy, I was like, what happened, you know? And so it's important that we're very clear on our intent. I, I, I want to just piggyback on what you just said, that, because what I see in my work, too, is a lot of times we have this concept. I hear clients say, based on some past experience or something they are experiencing right now, um, dividing their world into like weak and strong and, and blame and guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And it's showing up physically for them. They are physically unwell. They are physically overweight. And now what I have come to really see, and I don't have data on it other than empirical data from my experience and my coaching, and but um, a lot of it is emotional. Yeah. It's absolutely like carrying, like you just said, carrying the weight of their guilt. It does show up physically, but the trigger and the 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 source where the shift needs to happen is emotional right right uncovering that guilt maybe going to therapy figuring out how to unearth herself from the guilt that would shift her weight and people don't always connect that what's happening with you physically is only a reflection of what's happening to you emotionally and mentally you cannot shift one without shifting the other except you know going on keto maybe <laughs> And then that's going to be temporary. And uh, she's laughing, y'all, because everybody knows if you've been following our podcast, I am a staunch opposer of keto. Um, so, if she could, she'd, she'd mount a one-woman protest oh, and march man. against it. Keto's up there with me with carnivorism, if that was a uh, thing. Like, but but just to say that, that it's 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 a it's a really big important component. We're talking about this with Marie Kondo and anything else. It's that emotional component, finding your why, finding what's triggering you. Um, I was thinking about it with cravings too, right? Like my cravings, potato chips, usually, I mean, I'm under stress. And so when I am craving potato chips, I know, okay, what's happening with you? But it's not the potato chips that are the problem. The potato chips are the manifestation of something happening internally and usually emotional. And it's probably not even the potato chips, it's probably the salt. The salt, right? Because we talk about this, the adrenals. um, Adrenal exhaustion. And so... But 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 that's that's after years of examining my pattern, right? And taking a look at it, and then saying, okay, so if that's what's happening, how, how else can you de-stress versus eating the potato chips? Not that that if I want them, sometimes I just eat them, right? Because yeah. I just want it. But but recognize, hey, hey, there's a flag here. They are vegan. <laughs> Technically, sometimes, sometimes. Actually, if you didn't know, flavored potato chips generally are not whey. vegan because they use whey yeah, and other milk derivatives to um, which I do put not understand. Flavor things. I do know. not understand. And I saw at Whole Foods not too long ago they had chicken chips, where it's like <laughs> oh basically chicken that has been like air fried. To, I know I couldn't understand it. I still don't. That's so funny. 
Anyway, chipper. sorry. I could go, go one better. I've seen um, crickets. I mean, crickets. chips made of crickets. Ooh. Oh, that's disgusting. I mean, if you're going to. Where were you? Not in this country, I'm guessing. Indonesia. Yeah. What you talking about? So, I, 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 yes. I think they were. Mm, I don't know. I don't want to okay. say, but, but absolutely. Chick made of uh, flour from crickets. Yeah, that's no. That's weird. High in protein. <laughs> <laughs> you and the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Eating the grasshoppers. Um, so <laughs> I, I totally lost my thought. Sorry. About, what, no. <laughs> well, there were three more triggers, right? There were three more. Yes, but we probably will have to address those in the future episode. So I'm just going to... Um, I wish I could Sorry, remember what I was said. Sorry, it was the crickets. Oh. You and the Impossible. It was great, though. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> Y'all wrong for laughing at me. Um, I remember what I was going to say. So you talked about, you know, examining your pattern. And for me, I don't feel like I'm a very intuitive person. So I'm probably one of the people that are like, what do you mean, you know, my gut will tell me or my body will tell me I can't listen. I don't know what it's saying, all of that stuff. But what I realized is that I absolutely know that there's a pattern, but it wasn't until I was writing it down that I was able to discern it. And so Mm. I this is my plug for journaling. Right. So since I was young, I have kept a journal and I wish that I had kept all of those old books that I did when I was a teenager, Um, because at some point I moved to this really cool, like five year journal. And then I eventually moved to an electronic version. And so that's really the only thing that survives. But I can go back for many years within that electronic version and say and I love that um, the one I use is called Day One. It's a I think it's only available on Apple products. So you can get it on your Mac or your iPad or your phone. But um, the way it works is when you create an it. <laughs> what are you doing yeah. Oh, just the monopoly of, of that's Apple. That's so wrong. Oh. That's fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you create an entry, you can um, do it based on just text. You can, you know, do lists. It's a really sophisticated product. But what I like about it is every day when you open the app, it says on this day, and it'll tell you how many entries you have on that day. And so then it will let you look at them and it'll say one year ago, three years ago, six years ago, whatever. And so what I find is that if I stop for a minute and read those before I write for the day, um, it really helps me get clear on either how far I've come or how often an issue has persisted in my life so that I can be awake to the fact that I really need to take some time to try to figure this out because three years ago I was saying this same stuff, Mm. right? And so not in a, like a derogatory judgmental way, but just like to be aware that, Hey, I've been saying this for a while, or I've been feeling this way for a while, and I haven't done that. Maybe I need to get some help in doing that. And that could be in terms of like hiring a coach or getting a fitness trainer or um, working with a nutritionist or going to a therapist or whatever it is, um, or, or you know, asking a financial advisor for some assistance. You may not be able to figure it out on your own, but until you get clued in on what the thing is and why you want it to be different, you may not be, you won't make much progress at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because a lot of times I notice with introverts and extroverts, we tend to think extroverts are like very chatty, but introverts and extroverts, I want to stress that sometimes we don't understand ourselves till we say it out loud, right? And writing is a way of saying it out loud. Talking it out, writing it out, somehow dumping the thoughts mm-hmm. help us to process. And so I I'm appreciate that you say that because sometimes... Um, People don't want to ask for help. They don't know that they should ask for help. They don't know that they can ask for help. 
and yet help. Sometimes the, the, the therapy, air quote, is simply in the talking in one form or another mm-hmm. to get those thoughts into an open space and outside of our heads. Yeah. Extroverts more so than others, probably. I, I know that I feel like I, I have to, and I'll sometimes call you <laughs> and I'll say, hey, uh, and then I'll just, you know, mm-hmm. you make that noise so much better than I do, but I'll just like, like all these thoughts would just come, I call them my 17 thoughts and they'll just flow out and you won't really have to say anything and I will have like talked myself through whatever it is that I was thinking about. I'll be like, okay, thanks. And you're like, I great didn't even you're welcome. say anything. Yeah. But, but I will say, I have, I have two coaches, two coaches right now and sometimes, yes, I say, as I'm talking to them, I'm just like, uh, actually, never mind. Let's move on to the next thing. I just, I think I just <laughs> talked myself out. through it, right? Yeah. And I pray, write on my own, and I also write in a journal. Um, but sometimes I'm stuck until I say, start talking to somebody else, and they start asking me questions. And they don't give me any advice or anything. It's just like, oh, so you think that, is this true? Is, is this true? Are these two things connected? And I'm just like, oh, you know what? Right, there's there it the is. Sound. That's the yeah. noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, so um, I, I, just to to recap, and and yes, Lisa, you're right. We do have three more items that we're going to address in another episode. But so far, we've talked about uh, self sabotage. Uh, so be on the lookout for ways that you are allowing your uh, sense of self worth, your um, desire for control or your perceived fraudulence, or as the article points out, imposter syndrome. How you're allowing these things to get in the way of your true intent. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or at thejealousvegan.com, and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.